0: Medical technology is rapidly developing. Specifically within the field of genetics, the development of new technology has allowed scientists to begin mapping gene variants that cause disease or contribute to your risk of disease development. While these technologies have provided various benefits such as the development of asymptomatic disease screening, early intervention and improved outcomes in patients, they also lead to potential ethical dilemmas such as privacy issues, the potential for genetic discrimination and more. In today's episode we will be discussing various ethical dilemmas within the medical genetics field. More specifically, we will be bringing on Dr. Sala, a medical geneticist, to discuss these topics and explain to us why she chose a career in the field of medical genetics. Dr. Sala completed her medical genetics residency training at the University of Toronto. She joined London Health Science Centre as an assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics in 2017, and she is specialized in pediatrics as well as adult general genetics, syndromic cancer genetics, and prenatal genetics.
1: So I love working with all groups, babies, children, adults, the elderly. In genetics, it's literally from womb to tomb, depending on the aspect of genetics that you do. So prenatal genetics, I'm dealing with the pregnant women, babies before they're born. And then when they're born, birth defects, pediatric population, adults, and then the cancer genetics. And then the other thing I like about genetics, it really deals with the rare, like the zebras in your practice. And with that, I like to think of myself as the Sherlock Holmes of medicine. When things don't really add up, this and that, what is the diagnosis? And now that we've solved it and we know what it is, what do we expect going forward?
0: Genetic testing involves examining an individual's DNA, which has been obtained from a blood sample. Genetic tests look to study the DNA sequences of an individual to identify variants or mutations in genes that cause or increase your risk for the development of a genetic disorder. Genetic testing can be done for a variety of conditions. Some of the more common ones that individuals are familiar with is looking at the BRCA genes for breast cancer or counting the number of CAG repeats for Huntington's disease. The choice to undergo genetic testing is a personal decision a patient must come to with the help and guidance of a medical geneticist and genetic counselor. While there are many pros to getting tested, such as the relief from uncertainty and a greater understanding of your health, testing does come with potential drawbacks, such as feelings of anxiousness, fear, and depression from the results.
1: We talk about like pre-symptomatic testing for someone who's healthy and it's driven by a family history. Depending on the condition out there, it can be very different. So a situation where, let's say, talking about the hereditary breast cancer gene, where we know there's management implications, there's surveillance, and there is early intervention, and it will modify the type of treatments that you're getting if one develops cancer. It's not 100% that you'll develop cancer when you have one of those mutations in a hereditary cancer gene. So the the counseling is really, for this particular group, I feel it's easier. A big player that actually changed how we counsel when it comes to the pre-symptomatic, like especially cancer, where there's surveillance, is the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act in April 2017. It was around that time that a bill passed that protected Canadians from being attacked, uh, asked by those insurance companies for that information. So before this act, what used to happen is those people who are, do not have cancer, but inherited a mutation in a breast cancer gene, were treated like someone who's affected. But now it's no longer something that life insurance companies will use. So we've had more people are, who become interested. The other one you asked about, which was a very good one, is Huntington's disease, which is one example. There are other conditions that are triple repeat expansion disorders that follow that dominant pattern of inheritance, where we're still we still don't have management or treatment. And it's a matter of watching for signs and symptoms. This is where most centers will have a genetic counselor specialized in providing this type of counseling, consenting. It takes time. It's a lot of discussions back and forth. Are you sure? What does it mean? And many of them are familiar with those conditions because they have a parent who probably died of it, first-degree relative who has it. And they'll, they'll choose to do it when they're ready, emotionally, to receive this news. Uh, so in our center here, uh, for example, in the Southwest region, uh, Susan Connicker is the one who specializes in that type of consenting. And it will, it won't be typically in one setting. Like she'll have one meeting and let's do a check in and pros and cons of testing, something that we review for such conditions, especially where there is no uh, clear management yet. Like you always want to check in as before you're getting those results. Having a positive, like an, an abnormal result is one thing, but there's also what I've seen is with a negative test, that guilt, the, the feeling of, oh, my brother has it. I don't. I got away without it. it. There's that, too. And it depends on the personality of the person, too, right? So, yeah, so much in genetics. And the imp- consent is a big, big part. Uh, and it doesn't have to be like, we don't, we don't always have a written consent. It's, it's really communication, verbal. A lot of it is that, taking into account the condition, is there treatment or not, that person ready for it, their circumstances of the person, and management-wise, it really makes a difference.
0: While there are a variety of reasons that can cause an individual to be hesitant to undergo genetic testing, a somewhat common fear that is spoken about in the media is the potential for misuse of an individual's DNA samples. An individual's DNA is something deeply personal, as it is how one is biologically identified. Some individuals have cited concerns about the government and other healthcare agencies having access to their DNA samples. And for some patients, this concern is so great that it acts as a barrier for them to get genetic testing done. So in a clinical
1: setting, I do come across that and I see it in a unique population. So I'm of Middle Eastern heritage and I'll tell you, people of my heritage will be very cautious and they'll think twice before sending their DNA. Especially if we tell them, Oh, this is an out of country test. Oh, HIPAA will fund it, but we're thinking to the USA, sending it to the US. Mm -mm." And they'll pause and say, do we have to? Can we just keep it here? Uh, so majority of clinical labs, they have something called an open consent or closed consent. So closed consent is the one where they'll say, I'll I'll get testing done for the condition and then discard the sample. And then they have the option of saying, Oh, do you want your sample to be de-identified and used for research purposes? So that's kind of where. I've seen the split. I've seen people say, can we do the clinical part and opt out of the research part? I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, and those are clinical labs. like Those are ones that they will de-identify data, so it's, it will be used towards gene discovery for conditions that impact health. On the other end, we have the direct-to-consumer test where they'll share their saliva and they've weaved everything, like like they've sent their DNA there. And those are not clinical labs where I'm not sure if they've gone through that process of realizing who they're sharing the samples with. In the clinical setting, it's, it's really around gene discovery. Like, they'll contact us back and say, we have found another family with this candidate gene, and please connect with your family. So under the clinical umbrella, I feel there's more protection. It's more the direct-to-consumer testing where you start to wonder.
0: So that leads us into our next area of discussion. Recently, direct-to-consumer genetic testing has become more popularized There are several notable companies in which you can purchase a testing kit to take a saliva swab and then you send your DNA sample away to get analyzed by a private, for-profit company. It takes a few weeks, but then you will have information back regarding your genetics. These direct-to-consumer genetic testing kits screen for a number of different things, including your ancestry, genetic health risk, carrier status, and pharmacogenetics. While these companies contribute positively by providing individuals with more information regarding their health and increasing awareness about genetic disease, there are concerns regarding if the consumer's personal information and DNA are being shared and if a medical test really should be getting commodified. Okay, so it's a tricky one, but I'll tell you. So one that has
1: been getting a lot of attention, typically before Christmas, because they give this offer, is that 23andMe. And they'll say, "Oh, spit on a saliva kit." It comes; it's quite informative, actually. And what what though what this one relies on is it's SNP-based, single nucleotide polymorphism, so unique markers. And I've had I'll, I'll never forget this case where a patient who was uh, ethnically like from Brazil, and she it was unaware of any Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. And from that sample that she provided, among the SNPs that they used were the uh, common genes for the BRCA one and two they actually use that and she was flagged with a mutation in a BRCA1 gene that's a a connect like common Ashkenazi jewish mutation and of course she goes to the family doctor and the advice was to reach out to healthcare providers so she reached out to the family doctor and the family doctor refers to genetics say hey i have this result and a patient who is from brazil as per health like like the Ashkenazi jewish ancestry they qualify for ohad funded testing for this type of mutation but here we have someone who probably learned about their ancestry somehow, they may not know it, but they have this mutation, so we have to clinically validate that. And then we provided the clinical test and indeed, she had the mutation. What does that mean? She, that means she uh, is, She has a label, she has a diagnosis of a, she carries a mutation for hereditary breast cancer and ovarian genes, she qualifies for screening, she's asymptomatic, but first-degree relatives now also have to come to attention. So this is a situation where I felt that uh, that patient and I, as her, as a healthcare provider, I am glad she had this type of test. Like as much as we don't like seeing them, they come through, but this is a situation where it came helpful. Now, where it's not helpful is it's SNP based. If you have a mutation outside of that region, that is not the right test to order. That's not like a right test to order. Absolutely. And it will be a false reassurance for someone who has a positive family history, does not have one of those mutations that they find as common SNPs uh, that impact health. But it's it's a double-edged sword. So be very cautious when you order it. People use it for fun. You learn about yourself. There's others, carrier testing that is available. That's also self-pay. Those come with genetic counseling services. I'll I'll use one example. It's called Invitae. They offer carry testing for many other conditions that impact health. So it's really, it's a lot and people will choose to pay out of pocket for those type of uh, tests. And as long as you understand what it is, the nature of the test, what it is that it's looking for. And then if you have a plan for, okay, if it comes back up normal, you wanna make sure that there's a plan for that.
0: Fetal screening during pregnancy is available for all Canadians. For example, as part of Prenatal Screening Ontario, Prenatal screening is available to all pregnant individuals within Ontario and is covered by OHIP and this can be ordered by your healthcare provider. Prenatal screening is not a diagnostic test, but rather it is a way for you to determine your chance that your baby has conditions such as Down syndrome or Trisomy 18. If you screen positive, there are more options for additional, more diagnostic testing. There are both pros and cons to screening. For example, some of the pros would include that it provides the mother and healthcare providers with more information about the baby. And then some of the potential cons that screening has is it does have the possibility for false negatives or false positives, which can create a number of issues. So speaking of
1: Ontario, like we have the prenatal screening Ontario website. Now, there is a screening that like we we talk about screening for common conditions, so Down syndrome. Um, Couples have the option of opting out of that. There is the standard of care, like the anatomy ultrasound, head to toe to ensure that baby's growing well and there's no concern. That's standard. It's more the dental serum screening, non-invasive prenatal testing. Those are the ones where we have a lot of, okay, opt-in, opt-out. It's kind of interesting. We respect patient's autonomy and you need to be very fair and list all options out there that is available and not prejudge or assume that the couple is opting out of that test or screen. So the Prenatal Screening Ontario website goes through a very nice algorithm for is prenatal screening something you're interested in, regardless if you're a high risk, low risk, like this is something that we'll provide a couple. Yes, we typically talk about women of an advanced age, 40 plus, that they're at risk, but they may opt out of it thinking, you know what, I just want to make sure baby's looking okay, healthy and well, regardless, it won't impact my decisions with a pregnancy and we'll know after if baby needs care additional care. So with prenatal screening, it's all over. Like we've had the the non-invasive prenatal test where people will choose to pay out of pocket for if they don't meet Ministry of Health criteria. And then we have the invasive test where more needs to be done for diagnosis. And it really goes down to um, the, the couple and then reviewing those options. Like the standard is to get an anatomy ultrasound to check that baby's growing well. The NUT standard and the one that is really optional, you have the option of opting in or out. People are under the impression, I have to have it. No, that's not the case. Prenatal screening is optional. Uh, And it's more as as, what is it that you want to know? Will it change plans for the pregnancy? Will it impact for plans immediately after delivery? And managing your life after. So it really, like, it, it will be dependent on the couple. And that's where we encourage them to have this discussion in the first meeting with a family doctor. They'll say, okay, now you're pregnant. Those are your vitamins. Those are things to avoid. And then those are options going forward. We have ultrasound and then there is a Down syndrome screening. That's how they typically describe it, which involves the blood work, looking for some placental markers in mom's blood. And that's where we'll have people opting in or out. And in the Southwest region, like I've had a good number that opt out and we learn about them subsequently through a birth. That has a difference, or an anatomy ultrasound that has differences. And we did not have any screening prior. So we'll start talking about these options after. Like, okay, we have those birth defects that we see in ultrasound. Uh, we're suspecting maybe there's an absent nasal bone, their features suggestive of Down syndrome. There's something you'd like to know about. And then, okay, I'll do some NIPT now, non invasive prenatal test, and know what are the chances this is Down syndrome. Yes, no. So yeah, it's it's optional. I'll never say, oh, you have to do it because you're forty plus. No. The options are there. A forty plus will get more options that are OHIP funded compared to someone who's uh younger. And and
0: we do have those algorithms that help families to kind of make that informed decision. When speaking about prenatal testing, One very common type of test that is used is the NIPT or the non-invasive prenatal testing. In order to complete this test, the mother will have her blood drawn during pregnancy. The mother's blood will contain a mix of her own DNA and DNA that comes from the placenta. The placenta's DNA is identical to that of the fetus's DNA, so this maternal blood sample can then be used to screen or test for genetic abnormalities within the fetus. While this test provides valuable information to the mother and the healthcare team and is a non-invasive test, one common concern that is cited is due to the ease, timing, and accuracy of the NIPT that it might facilitate the sex-selective termination of pregnancies.
1: Now with the, the, I'll say, things happening sooner. Let's say they do this test early on, as early as nine weeks, and they know that it's a baby, a fetal sex that they are not opting for. They do not want that sex. What will they do? They may use that towards, okay, I'm not ready to have a baby. Let's end this for social reasons. And you'll not know of it. Like in genetics, will not know of it because they're not going to come to us. Uh, but those will be things like pregnancy planning options and those programs. So that's something that we worry about. Absolutely. Especially when they're trying to know sex that early. It's something that we recognize and we talk about. And I'm, I'd say like in genetics, I haven't had that. Because those that will come through genetics, they're typically with birth defects or genetic concerns. Is this something that they may be happening elsewhere? I won't be surprised. Maybe that is happening, and there will be no way of knowing because they're not going to admit to it, and we can't police that. We always provide what's best for patients, and it's something that is part of our care that we offer. And they've come to the professional that offers that care, but like that's a situation where, like, oh, I'm assuming you're—you can't assume. So it's a tricky one. And you wonder, maybe that is happening and there'll be no way of knowing. What I can tell you is a good number of boys and girls that are being born, I can tell you
0: that. Switching up the topics a bit, we have been able to cover a wide range of topics over the course of this episode. The medical genetics field is rapidly developing. Specifically, medical geneticists have a broad scope of practice as they work with patients at all life stages and with various differing health conditions. Before we wrap up this week's episode, Dr. Sala has some final words regarding common misconceptions relating to this field, as well as some advice for our audience. Genetics is evolving, genetics is in every
1: differential diagnosis, every reason why there's that thing happening. It could be genetic, like that falls in the differentials. And not all of the genetics or genes are clinically testable. So something to keep in mind, when I say, oh, there's 25,000 genes, we know the function of half of those. Um, We still got a long way. And as we reclassify genes and try to understand what they do, that's when you hear in the news A new gene has been linked to autism and developmental delay, and and that makes it to the news. The gene has been there. It's just now we know what it does. Also, I'll say genetics is so common. Always good to ask family members. Uh, Family history, it's not a surprise, but many people don't know what's going on in their families. So it's good to kind of look back and reflect as to what's happening in the family. There were so many deaths. Was it related to war? Was it related to an illness? And want type of illness. So those are moments of reflection. And there's no harm in talking to your family doctor and inquiring about something that you've learned. And they'll tell you whether, yes, it's something worth a referral or not. So those are some of the things I feel I'd like to, to share about our field.
0: And that concludes this episode of Hashtag Health. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review and subscribing to our show. You can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Hashtag or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait for you to check out more of our podcasts. My name is Emma and thank you so much for listening to Hashtag Health.